This morning we are going to be in Hebrews. We're going to finish off chapter 4 and go through most of chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 14. I don't think I need to convince anybody here that um, we have a sin problem. Do Do I need to prove that thesis? To anybody? Okay. So we are all aware that we have a sin problem, and, and we meaning not just uh, society as a whole, not just them over there, but we, us, uh, uh, you and I, the people that we look at in the mirror, all of us have a sin problem. And the problem with sin is that we can't get rid of it ourselves. You know, it's like, have you ever asked a two-year-old to clean up a mess? And I don't mean like clutter. I mean like a mess. You know, like there's, there's, I, I, there's a picture of me as a toddler with a popcorn bowl upside down on my head and popcorn all over the place. Okay. But I've seen pictures of toddlers who got into the flower and you can imagine what the scene looks like in those pictures. There's flour all over the counters, all over the floor, all over all kinds of stuff, all over the dog, you know, everything is floured over. Uh, and they've got flour all over them. Now imagine handing that toddler a paper towel, a wet paper towel, and saying, now clean it up. <laughs> you work with toddlers, Lacey. <laughs> You're just shaking your head. No, that, that isn't going to work. No. Doesn't matter what kind of cleaning supplies you've got. It ain't going to work, right? That's us trying to deal with our sin problem. The sin has us all messy, and we're like toddlers, and we're just smearing it all over, and we're just making a bigger mess. We're not cleaning much of anything, right? We need something to help us with this sin problem. And the author of Hebrews tells us right at the beginning of this passage, he doesn't hide it, he doesn't wait till the end, he doesn't build it up, he doesn't lay forth a a great big army. He just flat out tells us right at the beginning the answer to our sin problem. So stand with me as we read from Hebrews 4, verse 14, all the way through Hebrews 5, verse 10. This is God's Word. If you let it, it will change your life. God's Word says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, 
He learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Pray with me. Father, there is a lot to unpack in this passage. Thank you that Jesus is our great high priest. Help us as we explore that truth. Give us wisdom and discernment to know the truth. Give us courage and conviction to embody the truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have this sin problem and we need something that can help us with our sin problem. And lo and behold, we also have a great high priest. Jesus is our priest. He is the one who can deal with our sin problem. Now, I want you to think for just a second about the role of the high priest. We've talked a little bit about this recently, but, but just to, just to kind of give us some direction, in Hebrews 5, verse 1, he starts to lay out what a high priest does. He, he talks about how the high priest acts on behalf of the people to God, making atonement for their sins. Look in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the high priest acts on man's behalf before God, making the atonement, making the sacrifices, offering the gifts to God on behalf of men. He stands in the gap. Our sin separates us from God. So we need a way to approach God, but we can't approach him with sin. And so the solution in the Old Testament, or at least least the shadow of of the greater solution, the solution that would come in Christ, that, that solution was to have someone intervene on our behalf. Someone who could take the sacrifices and make atonement for the sins before God. That's what the high priest would do. The high priest also would offer gentleness and understanding. Verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. The ignorant is the one who doesn't know. The wayward is the one who's been deceived and is being led the wrong way. The high priest can sympathize. His heart goes out to the person who is making mistakes, who is making bad choices, who who doesn't know the way of God and needs help finding his way. That's what the high priest does. And how can he deal so gently with them? How can he be so understanding? Because he himself has weaknesses. The high priest did not stand as a perfect man. The high priest stood as a sinful man who needed atonement himself. That's why, verse 3, he offers atonement for his own sins. In a second, we're going to talk about Christ. Christ doesn't have to offer atonement for his own sins. That's the key difference. But he offers the atonement for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. He has to come before God seeking mercy and grace at his throne. And so when someone else comes seeking mercy and grace, his heart can go out to them because he knows what it's like. He's walked a mile in their shoes. He knows the difficulty. He knows how hard it is to do right and to keep doing right and to keep doing right and not do wrong. He knows how hard it is not to get angry. He knows how hard it is to not let being tired or frustrated get the best of him. He knows what it's like to not really want to deal with that person because they're so hard to deal with. 
He knows what people are going through. He goes through it too. Verse 4, not only all these things, but he's chosen by God. And no one takes this honor for himself. No one takes this honor for himself. Now, there would be days where high priests would be appointed. In many cultures, the king would choose the person who would lead the religious activities. The king would choose the religious leader. Not so in God's people. In God's people, God himself would choose who? It would go through this particular lineage of Aaron by God's choice. It wasn't something that you bought, though at times it could be something you bought. It's not the way it was designed. It wasn't something that you vied for, a political type of position. It wasn't a position that you would cozy up to the right folks and, and, and earn your way there. This was the kind of thing, the high priest was one that was to be chosen by God, just like Aaron was. Jesus is our great high priest. Being our great high priest, he not only kind of fits the model, he makes the model of what the high priest ought to be. Just like the high priest is called by God, Jesus was appointed by God. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He didn't put himself in that position. He didn't get people out of the way and and cheat and connive and steal and bribe his way into that position. He didn't have to knock off anybody. He didn't have to, uh, it wasn't like king of the mountain where you you gotta get the king off the mountain to be the king of the mountain. It wasn't like that with Christ. He simply obeyed God. And in doing so is appointed to be high priest. God says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. He says somewhere else, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk more about Melchizedek in a little while, in a few chapters. We're going to really dig into Melchizedek. But for right now, Melchizedek was a king priest. He was a king of a city-state, but he was also a priest of God. And so Jesus fits that kind of mold. Anyway, he he is called by God. He's He's not just... He doesn't earn his way there. It's not tryouts. And he performs the best so God makes him. No, he's chosen by God. He's also, just as the high priest acts on our behalf toward God, our great high priest acts on our behalf toward God. I should say, just as our great high priest acts on our behalf toward God, so the human high priest does too, right? Because Jesus is the model. Everything else is the shadow. Everything else is the forefiguring. Everything else uh, uh, from episode one of The Chosen. Nicodemus looks at the mirror and he says, I wonder sometimes if, if what we see of God's law is so blurred. You can, you, can almost, you can almost sense that he's starting to get it. Like he's, he's, he's not quite there, but he's starting to understand there's more to this than what we think is so clear. Jesus is the perfect clarity of what the high priest ought to be. The human high priest, all he can do is imitate that, try to mimic that, try to to reflect that. He acts on our behalf toward God, verse 7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. What did he pray for? Do you remember what he prayed for? He prayed for God's will to be done. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us that they may be one even as you and I are one. I pray that they would be in the world and not of it. 
When Jesus prays that high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying for us. He's making the prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's heard because because of how he deals with the father. Because of his righteous standing before God, he is able to make those prayers and those supplications for us. He's able to pray on our behalf, offer sacrifices himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. We have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. He he too, just like the human high priest can offer gentleness and understanding, he too offers gentleness and understanding. This one isn't in chapter 5 though, because he's already said it in chapter 4. Look at 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who looks at us and says, well, I've never gone through that. Some of you have had kidney stones. I've never had kidney stones. I can't imagine what having a kidney stone is like. I hope to never imagine what having a kidney stone is like. From the way some of you describe it, I definitely don't want the experience. But when it comes to our weaknesses, Jesus Christ isn't the one who's never had to deal with that. So he just kind of has to try to empathize. No, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He knows what we're going through because he's, he's been there. He, he who, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, tempted to cheat, tempted to worship someone other than the Father, tempted to test God, tempted to take his words out of context to fit the meaning he wanted, tempted to make his own plan, tempted to get out of the hard thing. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses because he has dealt with them himself. Now, we don't have a high priest, though, who has given in to that temptation. See, even though he's faced every temptation that we can face, every every way of altering God's plan and doing something different than what God wants, we have a high priest who goes through all of that and yet doesn't sin. And what that means is that Jesus isn't just, uh, as, he's, as he was portrayed a couple weeks ago, he's not just someone who gets us. He gets us because he's been through what we've been through, but he also knows what we need and is what we need that we can't be on our own. He's not just someone like us. And every time we try to make Jesus into someone like us, we are diminishing who he is. Now, does that mean we shouldn't see parallels? No. Does that mean we shouldn't look at Jesus's life and say, I kind of, I'm, I'm struggling there too. No. What it means though is that we have in Christ someone who's overcome that weakness. He kind of cheated. He's God in flesh. But I'm so glad he cheated I'm so glad he's got the life preserver on the side of the, of the dock throwing it out to me because if he doesn't, I'm sunk. I'm drowning. I need help. I need a Savior who's not drowning with me. I need a Savior who can keep me from drowning. That's the great high priest we have in Christ. And he's without sin, even going through all this. So if he can beat sin, he can help me beat sin too. Jesus also models a right relationship with God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
Jesus isn't just the Son of God. He's an obedient Son of God. He follows through with the Father's will. It's one thing to say, that's my boy. God can look at him and say, that's my boy. He does exactly as I want him to. We're not capable of that. We mess up. We fail. Sometimes we're trying and we just aren't, we just can't quite make it. Sometimes we don't really try. We can't be that perfect, but he is. And because he is, we can learn how to follow the Father's will too. Because not only does he live a life that is, that is holy and perfectly aligned to God's will, but he's the model for us to follow. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We can follow in his footsteps because our great high priest shows us the way. I already talked about him being called by God. He reiterates that in verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. There's Melchizedek again. He says it twice in just a couple verses here. You think this might be something big later on that he's starting to weave in? I think so. We'll get there though. Just let that sit on the back burner and simmer for a while because we'll get there. So Jesus is our great high priest. That means that we can do some things ourselves. If Jesus is such a great high priest, that has impact on how we live. The first thing it does is it enables us to hold fast to the confession that we have in Christ. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can hold fast to our confession. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That word for hold fast is the word that, uh, of seizing. It's said of the church in Smyrna. In Revelation 2, John is writing these letters at the dictation of Christ. He's saying, I want you to write letters to the seven churches as I, as I, as I dictate them to you. John is writing them down and Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Man, you, you live in the place where Satan reigns from. That's how bad their town was. Now you could say your town is, is pretty bad off. That's got to be bad. Yet you hold fast my name. You don't let it go. You don't compromise it. You don't let it fall to the wayside. You don't let me become a bystander while you live the life the way you want. No, you hold fast to my name and you live for me in spite of the terrible surroundings around you. We can hold fast because Jesus is our high priest. We can hold fast because as uh, I think it was Ada Roberson wrote in her hymn in 1906, he will hold me fast. I can hold fast to him because he's the one holding on to me. I can hold fast to his name because he's the one who's got me in his grip. And you're not going to get me out of his grip. I can hold fast to his name because it's not dependent on my strength. It's dependent on his. So we hold fast. Hold fast to what? Hold fast to our confession. The word here is an open expression of allegiance. It's not just what we say. It's what we follow through on. But it is what we say, too. 
if you can imagine, there was, there was a movie year, some years ago about a guy that couldn't lie. And oftentimes he ended up saying things that got him in trouble. Can you imagine not being able to lie? I saw uh, it's a, something that's occurred in several things. There's one TV show where one of the characters can't lie because they're under some sort of like force field of truth where everything in it automatically tells the truth. And somebody that's been there a while says to him, you might better be quiet until you get used to this truth field thing. <laughs> Just kind of keep your mouth shut until you get used to it because every time you open your mouth, well, you're, you're going to say what you mean. Can you imagine if life was really like that? Some of the things that we might say, we might say all kinds of things, things that, yeah, Susie's smiling. I'd like, I'd like to be a fly on the wall in your house when that happens. <laughs> no, we hold fast to our confession because our confession is what we genuinely believe and are willing, in fact, compelled to express. He mentions this in Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a holy calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Can I tell you something, church? We do not confess the doctrines of Christ. We confess Christ. Now, coming with Christ come all the doctrines of Christ. Okay? They're not separated. But we don't confess the doctrine because we confess the Christ. And in confessing the Christ, we align ourselves to the doctrine because the doctrine confesses Christ. We don't want to be a church that just knows the truthful statements. We can say things like uh, two plus two equals four, but that's not what we confess. We confess the Christ who made it so that two plus two equals four. We don't confess... Uh, uh, various form, various uh, theological doctrines because that's what makes us who we are. No, no, we confess Christ. He is what makes us who we are. The doctrines are what we believe is the truth that leads us to Christ. Those things that help us to understand Christ and put Him in His proper place and align our lives to match to Him. But we confess Christ. The doctrine is a tool for Christ. So we hold fast our confession. We don't just hold fast the doctrines. We don't just hold fast the only baptized and believers thing. We don't hold that fast. We hold Christ fast. And because we see Christ, we believe the way to honor him is to baptize only believers. Because we see who Christ is, everything we believe and teach lines up to him. We hold fast our confession. Why? Because he's our great high priest. No one else can match that kind of authority for a confession. You don't confess me. Please don't confess me. We don't confess Malcolm. We don't confess John the Baptist. We don't confess Moses or Elijah. We confess Christ because only he's worthy to be our confession. We hold fast our confession because Jesus is our great high priest. We can draw near to God with confidence. We don't have to scurry away when God approaches. You know, you turn on the light, the cockroaches run, right? We don't have to do that. Why not? Because our great high priest has made a way for us to approach God. You see, when Jesus Christ takes care of our sin, it is completely and totally done away with. Now, we still face some consequences, don't we? 
Some of you have scars, emotional, physical, of things you did that you shouldn't have done. Anybody? No? All right, you're all liars. Revelation 21.8. Y'all look that up later. (laughs) One or two of y'all might know what that says, but you just look it up later. Christ takes care of our sins. It is done for. We might have to live in the consequences. All of us are going to die, right? Right? Yeah, unless he comes. One or the other. Absolutely. So far, death has a pretty good success rate. There's just that one exception, though, in Christ that, that he was dead and then he got taken back out of the dead column. That one exception. Other than that, it's got a pretty good success rate. We draw near to God with confidence because our great high priest has made it so that we can. He has dealt with our sin. He has completely taken away not only the sin, but the guilt of the sin. It's like you, you wash clothes that are dirty and it gets all the dirt off and it gets the stain. So the clothes are completely clean. That's what Christ does for us. Verse 16. Look at the first part of 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why don't we draw near to the throne of grace? I mean, it is after all the throne of grace and we need grace. It is after all God's throne and we want to be close to God. We need to be close to God. So why don't we draw near? Why do we instead draw to all the other things that we try to find confidence in? Why do we draw to our our occupations as though that's the source of our confidence? Why do we draw to our partner as if they are the source of our confidence or our kids or our grandkids or what they do or what they accomplish? Why do we draw to our trophy cases as though that is the source of our confidence? Why do we draw to so many other things and not draw to the one place that our confidence can truly be found. In a couple chapters, the author of Hebrews is going to put it this way. Consequently, still talking about Christ, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Those high priests that were people, they died. Every single one of them died. They always had to get replaced with another one. Not Christ. He is our eternal, great, high priest. So we can be confident. And we can draw near to God. Our sin should make us fear God. It should make us scurry away and hide. Just as Adam and Eve are in the garden covering themselves with fig leaves and hiding in bushes so that when God comes, He won't find them. By the way, not very good efforts. (laughs) He knew right where they were, didn't He? The atoning sacrifice of Christ allows us to boldly approach the throne as allies and not enemies of God. Now, that doesn't mean we strut in like we own the place. No, we just come to him knowing that Christ has cared for our sins. He's dealt with them and abolished them and separated us as far as the east is from the west. So when we approach the throne of God, we are not doomed in judgment. We are welcomed as children of God. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can find the help we need. That throne, it's not called the throne of grace for nothing. Boy, we need grace. Boy, we need grace, don't we? We need mercy. Someone has said it this way, grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. We need both of them, don't we? So then let us, with confidence, 
draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When's that time of need? I don't have my watch on. I forgot my watch today. There's a clock. Yeah, right now. Look, it's the time of need. Look at that. Look at the clock. It says, it says that it's need o'clock right now. Of course, if we had a need clock, every hour would be need o'clock, wouldn't it? And he provides for our needs every hour, doesn't he? Because Jesus is our great high priest. We have the help we need. All that's left for us to do is come get it. All that's left for us to do is trust in our great high priest and receive the help we need. Pray with me. Father, it's so easy to say we trust you and so hard to actually follow through. Sometimes we want to trust you, but things just look so bad. And we're confident that if we don't do it, it won't get done. If we don't do it, it'll be wrong. We'll be messed up. Father, we have a great high priest who knows our weaknesses because he's lived in them and yet has overcome them. In Revelation, John writes, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we can draw near to your throne with confidence that you will give us the help we need. We can hold fast to the confession because Jesus is our high priest. We don't have a sin problem anymore. We have the solution. So Father, help us trust Christ. Help us follow him in obedience to you. and Help us glorify your name in the process. We're yours. Lead us. In Christ's name, amen.